We were young until we weren't, but the books stay the same. made me these snickerdoodle cookies. I don't know if I told you about these snickerdoodle cookies. You did tell me about the snickerdoodle cookies because we were like snickerdoodles, the best of all cookies. Yes, she made more snickerdoodle cookies. And every time I bite into it, it's just like what happens to the fellowship when they enter La Florian. (laughs) That's how I feel. Beautiful. (laughs) So, so good. I'm happy you have that in your life. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I do have a grievance, though, to kind of segue us into this episode. Oh. So, as our listeners may recall, I was touting this an encyclopedia of Tolkien, and it's a great resource. But as I was reading through the Fellowship, I consulted this encyclopedia often. When I got to the section... With Tom Bombadil, I was very eager to look through the encyclopedia and see what it had to say about Tom Bombadil, because as people may or may not know, there's a lot of intrigue around this character. It's one word for it. And there is no entry for Tom Bombadil. Wait, really? In this encyclopedia. Yeah. There is no entry. That's baffling. And you looked under Tom and Bombadil? I looked under everything, and there's an index. And in fact, the only time his name is mentioned is for an illustration. But there's no actual entry for Tom Bombadil. There's an entry for Goldberry, but nothing about her husband. That is baffling. I was staggered. I was shocked. I was appalled. Well, and he's... I took to Twitter. He's a character that could really use an entry. (laughs) I know. It's baffling to leave out a character. Okay, yes, he's not instrumental, although I have some arguments about that. But he's a very fascinating character and not writing... What? Like, who is this (laughs) hack, David Day? Is he a Tom Bombadil hater? Is he... Joining the ranks with you. You know that John Mulaney SNL sketch, The Lobster? (laughs) Where where the lobster comes out and he's like, come on! And why would someone on a whim choose from all to order him? Who's this guy? For some reason, I feel like we need that level of drama. Like, we need someone singing about, like, where's Tom Bombadil? Where is Tom Bombadil? This is the great controversy of our time. Yeah. Where is Tom Bombadil? David Day. Where is he? So that's my grievance for the day, the week. And on that note, I feel like possibly the we year. should maybe uh, <laughs> start the podcast. Oh, yes, indeed. So, hello, everyone. This is Reread, the podcast where we reread books that we read when we were kids and see if they hold up, if our feelings have changed, if encyclopedias we bought since left out a major character. <laughs> And today, we're doing Fellowship of the Ring. Of course, the ostensible sequel to The Hobbit. But as we discussed before, it's kind of... We'll get into it. <laughs> Indeed. As, so, given that you are the resident 
J.R.R. Tolkien hater <laughs> of this podcast. How do you feel about this book now after rereading it? All right, I'm going to prolong the drama a little bit to remind everyone, as I've said like <laughs> five million times on this podcast, but in case you're new, first read this book when I was eight years old. This is maybe not the correct time to read the book. I just fully did not understand a lot of it. And like me and a friend actually undertook the endeavor to try and rewrite it in real English because we were like, it's too complicated. <laughs> Are you kidding me? No, I'm not. We only made it like a chapter in, but I want you to imagine like an eight-year-old and a seven-year-old trying to rewrite the first chapter of Lord of the Rings. That is beautiful. The Just the sheer <laughs> audacity. Yeah. So anyhow, that was... <laughs> That was where um, I left this book. I've obviously watched the movies like five million times since, and I love them. And um, coming back to this now, as a full-grown adult, ostensibly, I really enjoyed it. <laughs> it was really good. Yes! after the hobbit because i was like very middle of the road on the hobbit this was actually good uh, uh, <laughs> oh i feel us uh, this is so good yeah <laughs> i'm happy yes okay well this is very exciting to hear i'm glad that i've been able to return the yes. favor i guess we had pride and prejudice and now lord of the rings or at least fellowship of the ring yes let's Hold off. I can tell you that this is getting ahead of ourselves, but you'll probably hate the battle scenes in Return of the King. We'll see. But I actually kind of had a similar response to the Fellowship. I liked it as a kid, but a lot of it went over my head, and there were certain areas that I did not appreciate as a child that now, as an adult... As a tired and weary adult, <laughs> I appreciate so, so much more. But I'm curious to hear more of what changed for you. What, why, what about this read? Well, on the difference between me as an eight-year-old and me as a 20-something-year-old, like it was just much in terms of like actually reading the prose, much easier to read. And I will say, I think the prose in this is so much better than in The Hobbit. I think there's a much better balance of everything. I still think there are too many songs, but at least it felt like the songs were mildly more important in this. Mm. Well, I think later on we should talk about the character, I suppose, of music, because obviously music plays a very important role within the Middle Earth universe. Yes. I get what you're saying. The execution, it's odd because for having music being such an important <laughs> element to this book you can't actually hear any <laughs> it's an interesting stylistic choice yes. i guess but yeah no i mean i think that overall in terms of like there was a good balance of like dialogue versus description versus world building all of that like in comparison to the hobbit i thought this was a much better execution mm -hmm. and i think that certain things especially after reading the hobbit i will say were much more impactful like i Sure, we will spend a really long time on Moria. But, like, everything in Moria was so much more impactful post The Hobbit. And seeing this book respond to The Hobbit 
It was doing such fascinating things. And even setting aside the real world things that happened in between him writing The Hobbit (laughs) and him writing this. Yeah. Just the two books responding to each other and like what this book is thinking about is so much more interesting to me as like an older person who has lived a lot more of life. Sometimes I think a time lord lives too long. I, I will say, I don't know how much of my fondness for the movie is also coloring this. I do love those movies so much. So I already have affection for these characters. But like, I did feel like, you know... His character building has come leaps and bounds, and I felt like he did so much of a better job with the characters in this. Even the moments of humor, there were a couple of moments that were just genuinely, like, I laughed out loud, because, like, Tolkien was just, like, having a good time being sassy, and I was like, go off. (laughs) There is a great moment. I just want to remark on it, because I don't think we'll bring it up later, but there's a great moment where the four hobbits have met up with Strider slash Aragorn, and they're about to go off on this adventure into the wilds, basically, across the country. And Pippin makes this comment that they'll soon enough start to look like Strider. And (laughs) Strider makes this comment that, oh, you'll have to be traveling for a lot lot longer than what we're going to be traveling. Also, you would die first. (laughs) And it is so brutal. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. there. I wish, like, I can't take notes right now because uh, our listeners might not know, but I broke my right hand. So <laughs> I can't take notes. So I'm going to be really mad, I feel like, for most of this podcast about not being able to find, like, what I want to find. But there were a number of just moments in the Council of Elrond scene where there were, like, similar things where, like... <laughs> These characters were just brutal to each other in the funniest way. It's so, I mean, it's such an interesting world because there's this great line later on in LaFlorian and I, oh my God, (laughs) I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but there is this great point that's brought up later about how, why are we fighting each other? We have this dark Lord who's going to murder everybody. That should be the common enemy. And yet we can't get away from our own grievances Mm -hmm. against each other and you know if you if you want to apply that to the real world today (laughs) you can no i i literally read that line and i was like united states democrats (laughs) i would say even just americans in general but yeah i mean this this book i remember for the last episode for the hobbit where you were like isn't it nice to be reading about this and getting away from everything else (laughs) and in the back of my head i was thinking oh morgan you have no idea what's coming Uh, (laughs) tragic yes because the fellowship and i'm sure the rest of the lord of the rings will live up to this but the fellowship is not easy light escapism it tackles some heavy subjects and they are just as relevant today as they were back in 1945, I think, was when... Or was it 45 or 54? Hold on, let me fact check myself. I feel like it's 54. Yes, 54. Okay, which is also coincidentally the same year, I think, Horse and His Boy came out? That sounds right. It's either Horse and His Boy or The Silver Chair, one of those. Somewhere there. 
C.S. Lewis, he's like so proud of his little book, you know, that he's just pushed out. And then f***ing Tolkien just drops the Fellowship of the Ring on the world. And C.S. Lewis is just blasted, just blasted by how mediocre you know, he is. I just want to say, like, I believe Clive <laughs> was actually very helpful during the writing of these books. And like was very supportive <laughs> of his friend. So let's be a little, a little nicer to Clive. <laughs> Never. From hell's heart, I stab at thee. For hate's sake, I spit my last breath at thee. I suppose we should give just some context of when this book came out. I think The Hobbit was published in 1937, somewhere yes, around that time. Somewhere there. So there's a big gap between those two books. And, uh, there was a big world event that happened in between those two books that, in fact, contributed to the delay of the publishing of Fellowship of the Ring. Although Tolkien insists that the Second World War had little to no impact or rather influence on the story itself. I guess that's debatable to a degree. You can certainly read historical events into it if you want to but it was basically written throughout that time and when it dropped it freaking changed the world it certainly changed the world of fantasy and no nothing would be the same i mean the hobbit of course was influential but it the lord of the rings trilogy changed everything yeah i mean like it's just so baked into our culture i mean i just look at like you know some of like dungeons and dragons you wouldn't have without tolkien yeah <laughs> world of warcraft you wouldn't have without tolkien most fantasy you would not have in the same form without tolkien yeah i mean that quote you had last episode about the mountain not fuji it it's correct terry pratchett is correct you know in this alternative universe where lord of the rings never existed we would just be stuck with Chronicles of Narnia clones, which is truly the worst possible outcome. I mean, there's been some very good literature written that is directly drawing on Chronicles of Narnia, so let's not go off of that hard, but uh, I feel like we, sh <laughs> we should give a summary just because um, even though I feel like most people will be familiar with it from the movies, the plot is actually somewhat different or at least reordered to some extent. So I feel like that we should probably do that thing. And I will rely on you to help me because I might get confused between the two versions of events. I'll, I'll chip in when need be. All right. So we open once more in the Shire at Baggin, where Bilbo Baggins uh, has continued living all of these years since The Hobbit. Um, and he has since adopted a ward, his relative Frodo Baggins, who is now his heir to everything. And on the day of Bilbo's 111th birthday, <laughs> you're old! And Frodo's 33rd birthday, they're gonna throw this giant party for which lots of preparations are underway. And so they throw this big party and everyone in the Shire is invited. Lots of hubbubaloo. And when Bilbo is giving his big speech at sort of the end of the night, he says, it's been nice knowing y'all. 
me out. <laughs> and then he just disappears. Above? Yep. Remember that little harangue from the Hobbit? He still got it, oh. and he can still go invisible. Um, I will say for movie watchers, uh, different from the movie, both Gandalf and Frodo were in on this plan, and they fully expect this to happen. So Gandalf meets Bilbo back at his house. Bilbo's like, go enough to like go on a nice little adventure, uh, leaving everything to Frodo. And Gandalf's like, including your ring, right? And Bilbo's like, actually, actually, maybe I keep the ring. <laughs> maybe, maybe I keeps it. <laughs> Maybe it's my precious. <laughs> and Gandalf's like, uh, I really think you should leave the ring. And Bill was like, no. And this goes on for a while until Gandalf uh, basically f- scares Bilbo enough that Bilbo agrees to leave the ring. But Bilbo still tries to bring it with him one last time before he finally just drops it and heads off on his way. Frodo comes back and he's like, oh, I'm sorry to have missed him. I was hoping to say goodbye before he left. And Gandalf's like, well, he's left you everything. Have fun. Also, he left you the ring and and maybe uh, maybe keep it keep it secret <laughs> and keep it safe. And he's like, I, I gotta go check in on some things, but like, I'll, I'll be back to like, see you soon, make sure everything's going well. Frodo's like, okay. Gandalf continues like, you know, checking in on him every year or so for a while. And then he just disappears for, like, a full nine years. Frodo's just, you know, chilling, being a hobbit. And then Gandalf comes back and he's like, Frodo! <laughs> Frodo, I found out some shit! <laughs> and he basically lays out the whole thing, like, the entire history of the ring. That it's the, the one ring to rule them all, created by Sauron to control everyone. And that it was taken from him by a seal door on... When they had the whole battle to, like, defeat Sauron. And then, when Isildur died, it, everyone thought it was lost. But actually, this uh, member of the river, river folk, Smeagol, managed to uh, pick it up by murdering his best friend. <laughs> and he then, you know, had an unnaturally long life and became Gollum, the creature that Bilbo changed riddles with in The Hobbit. And so Bilbo got the ring from him. Tolkien does something very clever here where he says that Bilbo's initial story of how he got the ring was a lie. And that's actually a very clever reference to the first edition of The Hobbit where he got the ring basically fair and squared through this riddle game where he won the riddle game and Gollum of his own free will just gave Bilbo the ring. If you haven't read the first edition, that weird detail comes out of nowhere and you're like, what is that about? But that's what it's about. It's it's Tolkien being clever. Yes. And like he, he even in the thing says, like, even in his book, he lied about how he actually got the ring. Yes. So, yeah, it is it is very tip of the cap. So anyhow, they have that whole discussion and then Gandalf's like, but also Sauron's like coming back now. And also like Gollum went to Mordor and like got you know, the information tortured out of him. So people know Bilbo's name. They know at the Shire, like, Sauron's going to be coming for this ring. So we need to get it the f*** out of here. This is where uh, Frodo and Gandalf have the very iconic exchange that has been coming around a lot Mm. today's world about, you know, Frodo saying, like, I wish the ring had never come to me. We should just play it here in full because it's great. Oh, yes. Let me read it for you. Oh, thank you. Frodo says, 
I wish it need not have happened in my time. So do I, said Gandalf, and so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. And that's it. Beautiful. The ironic part is that the rest of the quotes is very dark. (laughs) Yes. And already, Frodo, our time is beginning to look black. The enemy is fast becoming very strong. His plans are far from ripe, I think, but they are ripening. We should be very hard put to it, even if it were not for this dreadful chance. (laughs) Yeah. I think it is very interesting just from an adaptation standpoint, which I'm sure we're going to try and stay away from to some extent. But they, the movie, I think, interestingly, moves this discussion till later when Frodo's actually experienced quite a bit of his quest. Like, they have this discussion in Moria. I do think it's interesting that this discussion happens before Frodo has done jack <laughs> It can work either way, depending on like how you do it. Like I see the merits of of both positions for the quote, but I did think it was interesting. I was reading, and I was like, "Oh, this is here." Well, it, amazing. It's interesting because, I mean, not to get sidetracked by this, <laughs> you know, the the movie certainly plays that quote to be more hopeful than it is. It's the idea of like it's a call to action in the movie. Here, mm-hmm. it's more just a presentation of fact like yeah it sucks that we're living through this now but well here we are so we might as well do something about it well here i am it's it's a lot more i don't want to say limp but it certainly does feel limp (laughs) that valence kind of carries through where there's a bit more despair within the story i think in the book than you see in the movie yeah. But we can, we well, can and talk I think the movie yeah. <laughs> The movie also meshes it with um I think the other line that actually happens also in this scene, which is Gandalf saying that he feels like the ring must have come to Bilbo for a reason and therefore to Frodo for a reason, and that gives him hope. Which is also in the scene very early on. But anywho, so <laughs> they're having this entire discussion, they're making plans, and of course <laughs> Sam has been listening in this whole time. <laughs> because, you know, Sam be gardening and then eavesdropping. <laughs> and that's when Gandalf's like, all right, Sam, now you have to help out, you little <laughs> eavesdropper, you. Sam's like, okay. One of my favorite lines, let me see if I can find it, in the entire book, is <laughs> after, after Gandalf has coerced Sam into joining this quest. So... Sam is told that, you know, you'll go along with Mr. Frodo. And Sam says, me, sir, cried Sam, springing up like a dog invited for a walk. Me go and see elves and all? Hooray, he shouted, and then burst into tears. (laughs) Sam really loves the elves, and I think it's very cute. It is very, very cute. But it also feels very, very much like a 2020 mood. (laughs) He shouted and then burst into tears. I relate, Sam. Yeah. <laughs> and, and let's also put a pin in that quote for later. There is something else in there that I want to discuss. But Gandalf's like, okay, so let's plan to like, I got to go do one other thing. Let's plan to meet back up and head to Rivendell in a bit. Like sooner rather than later. To bed. Tomorrow we rise. We leave at 10-ish. I can't remember if this is when Frodo decides that he's going to 
wait until his birthday or if he decides that a little later. The point is, Frodo decides to wait until his birthday. Which is like six months later or something like that. Right. <laughs> it's a while. And so he waits until then, but Gandalf doesn't show back up. He also like sells his house to the Saxville Bagginses, which is depressing. And pretends he's buying, or he actually buys another house in um, basically the where he grew up, which is another part of the Shire that's more in the direction he's going. So he's like, okay, I'll just tell everyone I'm moving there. People won't know that I'm going on this quest, and hopefully word won't get around. But the very evening he's leaving, he hears someone asking Sam's dad about him and where he's going. Um, and this is later on reveals to be one of the Black Riders. And these uh, Black Riders kind of dog them on their entire journey. I should mention that Mary and Pippin have already been introduced as Frodo's buds, good buds. Mary has gone ahead to get the house ready for Frodo, and Pippin is actually going with Frodo and Sam. So he's along for this entire ride. And they run into one of the Black Riders, like, really early on, and are hiding from him. They have a number of, like, moments where they're, they have to, like, run off the road to hide from one of them. And they run into some elves one night. <laughs> Wait, what were you going to say, Casey? Oh, well, I was just going to say, it, it's worth mentioning that these Black Riders are creepy AF. Yeah. Perhaps even more so than, than they are depicted in the movies. Like, they're described as crawling along the ground and, like, sniffing. You never see their faces. They're They're unnatural. And every time they're near, it's described how Frodo feels this warning, this dread in his heart increases as the closer these ring wraiths come along anyway please yeah continue <laughs> yeah no they they run into some elves fairly early on that help them hide from the black riders and give them some advice on how to avoid them they have a number of other like near encounters before they get to frodo's new home um where they meet back up with mary and <laughs> and fatty and, and fatty <laughs> let's not forget oh. good old fatty <laughs> I actually can't remember his other friends. Yeah, I can't remember his real name, but Fatty is his nickname. So we get another f- character who's I mean the hobbits in general are are all pudgy, but this character I guess is excessively pudgy and it's yeah. another fat person joke. I've noticed uh, some recurring themes between the hobbit and the fellowship of the ring. <laughs> Tolkien really hates spiders and um he thinks fat people are really funny. <laughs> And that's that's the crossover I've discovered. <laughs> Those are the main takeaways from these books. Yeah. But while they're all having a nice dinner in Frodo's house, Merry and Pippin and Fatty <laughs> reveal that uh, Sam has already told them everything about the ring, about like Frodo's whole plan. They've all been informed this entire time. And they have absolutely zero intention of letting Frodo go off without them, except for Fatty, who's going to stay behind and pretend to be Frodo to throw people off the trail. And so their plan is to head through the wood to avoid being on the path, avoid the Black Riders. So they head off the next day into this very creepy wood, which we're told uh, multiple times that there are lots of local stories about, like, 
the trees moving and strange things happening. And it's certainly very ominous when they're in there. And they are getting lost all the time, even though Mary feels like you should know the way. It seems like things are moving and throwing them off the track. And then they end up stopping for a little while because they're just like very exhausted. And it's a very like sudden, strange exhaustion. Yeah. And then a tree tries to eat Mary and Pippin. (laughs) (laughs) Well, when you put it that way, it sounds very silly. Well, but yes, basically the, the roots try and bury Mary and Pippin alive. It's, it's actually very disturbing. But who should come up oh, and free yeah. them? Yeah, 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 yeah. My favorite. Tom Bombadil. <laughs> <sighs> Singing all the while his Tom Bombadil song. And he's like, no, no, bad tree. Give back the little hobbits. Poor old willow man. You tuck your roots away. Tom's in a hurry now. Evening will follow day. Tom she gives them back. And he's like, hey, come with me. Come chill at my house for a while. And they're like, okay, we'll do that. This stranger is, seems reliable and trustworthy. So they go back to Tom Bombadil's house and meet his very hot wife. And they stay there for a while. Like the next day it rains and they're like, we can't go out in the rain. We'll just continue staying here. There's a lot of like singing and stuff. I it's it's Tom Bombadil. It's uh. <laughs> I think the most like interesting thing that happens is that like Tom Bombadil. Oh, Tom Bombadil was also warned about they're coming by the elves, which is nice. But he like basically he's like, hey, can I see the ring? And Fred is like, sure, I guess. Mm-hmm. He like looks at it and puts it on, and it does nothing to him. And he's like, eh, funny. <laughs> And then, like, Frodo feels the strange urge to, like, put it on. I don't... I didn't fully understand his weird urge to put it on, but it is the ring. Well, I mean, we're definitely going to be agreeing to disagree a lot about Tom Bombadil, I can tell. But that is certainly the most interesting moment. There's a lot that's interesting about this character, Morgan, and I will do my darndest (laughs) to convince you. Okay, but... uh (laughs) I do want to mark that I believe this is the first moment Frodo puts on the ring. So it is significant, if for no other reason than this is the very first moment Frodo puts on the ring. That's true. So yes, we should certainly discuss it more. But uh, they head out after the rainy day. Tom Bombadil gives them, like, ponies and stuff. But you can also talk about the other uh, overarching theme of Tolkien's work. Pony violence. But anyhow, uh, they head out, and uh, once again, they think they're going the right direction, but they actually are are heading by the barrows, which are like old tombs in the ground where there are all sorts of creepy things living. They end up getting separated in the barrows and then getting taken by the barrow whites, and like Frodo wakes up in a barrow, and he's like lying next to Mary Pippin and Sam, who are all like dressed in like ancient garb with, like, swords over their necks. It's all very creepy, but Frodo actually takes action. He manages to fend off a barrow, right? Then, like, sings Tom Bombadil give them a song to sing if they needed him. So he sings the Tom Bombadil song. Tom Bombadil comes and rescues them the rest of the way. And then he's like, go run around naked in this field. (laughs) And that's a thing they do. (laughs) 
I love it so much. Anyway. Yeah. And then he's like, okay. Uh, after this, I can't go any further with you because, like, I can only go, like, I have a certain bounds I have to stay in. Have a fun time. Me out. Well, I guess I would describe, it's not that he's bound within a certain region. He is chosen to only occupy this land. And I think that is a very important distinction when we get to talking about why the ring seems to have no effect on him. Yes, it's it's a voluntary thing. He's not, like, imprisoned there. Yes, yeah. But, like, that also is... I was given the impression that that's also where he has, like, power, and he chooses to stay within that because it is, in some sense, it's his land. Yeah. And he has power and influence there that, that perhaps he wouldn't he, necessarily yeah. outside of there. I don't know. There, there is an interesting... I mean, this is a side note, but they... At the the council, they theorize, could they call on Tom Bombadil to help them out? And they're like, well, maybe, but he's not going to do it because he just doesn't care. So I don't know. There's there's yeah. a lot of, like. There's this whole idea that he's very distracted, like easily distractible, and he would just forget about it. Yeah. And like <laughs> wander off to do something else. Go collect some water lilies for Goldberry. That's what he's yeah. into. Regardless of anything else, his mission to just collect flowers for his love is very cute. You must admit that. Sure. <laughs> the point is, we're done with Tom Bombadil now. Get out of here! Come on! I hate you! Get out of here! Get out of here! We can come back to him later. But uh, the hobbits go on to Bree where they're hopeful that they might meet Gandalf. They go to the Prancing Pony, the inn there, and the innkeeper's like, there's something about you that's, like, ringing a bell for me, but I literally cannot remember. But, like, here's some nice rooms. Enjoy your stay. You can come out and party with the rest of the folk <laughs> if you want to. Bree's an interesting place because it's, like, one of, I think, the very few places where, like, hobbits live with the big folk. So, it, you know, it's not so strange that these hobbits are there. A little strange because, like, it's very rare that hobbits, like, venture outside of the Shire if they don't already live outside of the Shire. But, like, not crazy strange. And I should mention that Frodo is going under a fake name. Mr. Underhill. Being in disguise and not have, yeah, not have people following him. So they go out and chatting with the folk in the, in bar, essentially. Pippin is gets super chatty, and Frodo ends up talking to this ranger who calls himself Strider. And Strider is like, hey, if you're, like, trying to be, like, subtle about anything, you might want to watch your friend over there. Mm -hmm. So Frodo's like, I'll go over and distract them by, like, singing a song. <laughs> a great choice on Frodo's part. Yeah. So he sings the song, and then, like, people really like it, and I think the attention starts going to his head. He sings another song. And then, like, accidentally puts the ring on and, like, vanishes in the middle of everything. <laughs> Super subtle. Uh. And then he takes the ring back off by Strider and Strider's like, great job, buddy. <laughs> also, I kind of want to talk to you later. And Frodo's like, okay. And after they try and convince people that Frodo's not a magician, to, like, very little success because he did disappear they head back to their rooms and uh the innkeeper is like 
Hey, there's something I also want to talk to you about, and maybe, like, beware of Strider. So, oh, I should mention that Mary didn't go out and party with him. them. He was like, I want to just be chill for a night. I might go out and walk around. And they were like, okay, Mary, have fun. So this is just Sam, Frodo, and Pippin again. So they go back to the room, and they're like, um, what do we do? And then it turns out Strider's already in their room. <laughs> fun times. So they have a lot of, like... <laughs> Back and forth, where Strider's like, I know a little about what you're doing, and I want to help you. And they're like, why should we trust you? There's the whole (laughs) thing at some point during this conversation, where Frodo's like, I feel like evil would present itself, like, Mm. better. (laughs) I don't think it would come in so foul a guise. And they're just really dunking, dunking on Strider's (laughs) appearance, like, this entire conversation. Eventually, the innkeeper shows back up, and he's like, hey... I remember what I needed to tell you. Um, Gandalf left me this letter that I was actually supposed to, like, mail to you, but I totally forgot. Here it is. <sighs> and in the letter, Gandalf's basically like, you need to head out now. <laughs> like, bad is happening, you need to head out now. And P.S. Something happens to me, then this uh, guy Strider will help you out. Ask what his real name is. It's Aragorn, son of Arathorn. And then he includes a whole rhyme about <laughs> Aragorn. <laughs> and for those, again, who've only seen the movie, it's the... Um, Here, let me let me read this poem. Uh, <laughs> that's supposed to, I guess, help them identify. Oh, no, the dogs are barking again. All that is gold does not glitter. Not all those who wander are lost. So that's where that line's from. The old that is strong does not wither. Deep roots are not reached by the frost. From the ashes a fire shall be woken, a light from the shadows shall spring. Renewed shall be blade that was broken, the crownless again shall be king. And that's supposed to help them identify Aragorn. Which I guess it does a little bit, because they're like, is this meant to be you? And he's like, yeah, look at this broken blade that I have. He's just carried around the broken sword. (laughs) (laughs) He's just got it attached to him. It's a pretty neat party trick. I'll give him that. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, also, I'm Aragorn, son of Arathorn. And they're like, okay, chill. I guess we will let you guide us to Rivendell. I guess that's that's something we are down with doing. Mary comes back in at some point and is like, hey, yo, Black Riders, they're here. And this is where they do the whole thing where they, you know, don't stay in their room and they hide in Aragorn's room instead. Which turns out to be a great idea because someone did break in in the middle of the night, so... And also stole all their ponies, or did something to the ponies. The ponies are gone. They got released into the we wild. We are told shortly later that the ponies do oh, manage to return. Yeah, I love that so much. It's a cute little... They actually go back to the old forest and hang out with Tom Bombadil for a while. And then they go back to Bree. It's very cute. It was nice to know that not all ponies die in this <laughs> universe, because <laughs> the Hobbit was just full of dead ponies. But because the ponies are gone, Frodo and co. have to, like, finagle a new pony. (laughs) So they end up, like, paying out, well, the innkeeper ends up paying out the nose for one because he feels bad because it was his responsibility to, you know, keep the pony safe. And this is where they get Bob the pony, FYI. So they end up heading out not as early as they wanted, and then Strider takes them off on uh, back paths through places and There's just a lot of walking during this section. They're all very tired and exhausted. And they're heading for Weathertop, where Aragorn's like, I really feel like if Gandalf was meeting us, he would also go to Weathertop. So we're going to Weathertop. They head there, and they do find 
like a sign that Gandalf has been there. But also, yeah, everything's like, been scorched. <laughs> There's a big god fight that occurred well, there. Yeah. <laughs> he also like left a mark on a rock, which is what I was talking about. But yes, also yes. everything is scorched. <laughs> While getting this clue, they managed uh. to like be sighted by Black Riders, which is you know bad. No. Of course, that night they're attacked. Frodo puts on the ring again, um, and he gets stabbed. Sucks for Frodo. No. He uh, does hold up far better in the book than he does in the movie, though. Like, he's able to keep walking with them for days afterwards, or riding, he's on the pony. But, like, you know, he's holding up decently for having a stab wound in his shoulder. And he actually did a decent job of, of defending himself during the actual fight, too. I will say, Frodo is a much more coordinated hobbit in the book. He's actually kind of brave, and, like, you see him be decent with the sword. Like, he doesn't know really what to do with it, but he hacks and slashes at things a lot. Like, he manages to hit one of the Black Riders. So good for Frodo. Good for Frodo. But, yeah, he... They are concerned about the wound, so they're heading for Rivendell as fast as they can. And they eventually are found by an elf who's been sent out to look for them. And the elf's like, okay, there's, like, a lot of Black Riders out and about, so we gotta hurry this up. They're really hurrying things up. And then the Black Riders are on them. Everyone's like, no. Someone sticks Frodo on a horse and he's like, ride Frodo on the horse. Frodo is reluctantly riding on the horse. He's mad about leaving everyone behind, but he doesn't really have a choice. Manages to get across the water. And he's like, come at me, bros. (laughs) Let me at him. Let me at him. Here, hold me back. Okay. Uh, Luckily, when the Black Riders attempt to actually come at him, The river rises up and washes them away, and then Frodo faints. That's the end of uh, book one of Fellowship. (laughs) This summary is going so slow, but because we keep getting sidetracked and also like... Well, yeah. I mean, it is worth mentioning. There are just so many details to discuss that that are like single lines that I'm holding back so much. To just, I want yeah. to stop you like every second and be like, let's talk about this. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about this. But I'll try and roll through the next bit like faster. Okay. So we're at Rivendell. Frodo's woken back up. He's been like asleep for a while. Gandalf's there. Hooray. Hooray. <laughs> He's like, you really held up under that wound really well. Like lesser people would have like succumbed to the evil of the wound super fast. But you, Frodo, you're a strong little hobbit with hidden depths. Frodo's like, Okay, I guess. And there's a lot of, like, general... I think it's called... The chapter's called Many Meetings or something. So, like, there's a lot of, like, re-meeting people. Frodo actually gets to meet one of the dwarves who traveled with Bilbo in The Hobbit, which is cool. One of the ones we never heard speak. Gloin. Gloin? Yeah. Never said a word in The Hobbit. Yeah, the father of Gimli, who we will hear from, believe it or not. We also finally got words out of Gloin's mouth, so I still don't know what his personality is, but he is he has said words. And one of those words that he says that will be relevant later uh, is that Balin, also from The Hobbit, and some of the others went and tried to reclaim Moria a while ago, and they haven't even heard from in a while. Uh-oh. Put a pin in that. Then later, Frodo actually gets to see Bilbo, because it turns out Bilbo's back. And they have some nice chats. Uh, they do have the moment where, like, Bilbo's like, um, I really want to see the ring. Really? I would, I think I, that would be nice for me. And Frodo's like, mm, I think it's a bad idea, maybe. And Bilbo's like, mm, let me see it. 
And Frodo's like, oh, really? No, I really don't. And then Bill's like, ah, you're right. <laughs> What's that noise? Travers, start your engines! <laughs> this is how I keep the summaries interesting. <laughs> Anywho. Uh. So they're just going to be this big council of the ring to, like, discuss what the hell to do with both the ring and, like, you know, everything else going on in the world the next day. We'll just skip to that. There's some cute character stuff that happens in between, but for the sake of time. So at the council, they have, they kind of reveal to everyone, because there's a lot of people that we haven't met thus far that are suddenly at this council, like, what's been going down? And Gandalf reveals what's been going down with him and why he didn't meet up with them, which is that he... Went to see Saruman, who's like big head honcho of wizarddom, and and also an expert on the enemy's warcraft, I suppose, and rings yes. in particular. Yes. In fact, someone specifically asked, like, why isn't he here to talk about this? And Gandalf's like, well, Saruman's gone to the dark side. I've become more powerful than any Jedi. Turns out he's evil now, and he imprisoned me for a really long time. And I was only able to escape the help of an eagle. Which, by the way, I should mention Frodo also had, like, a dream about his escape during his journey. Because Frodo has interesting dreams. Yeah. We could get into a whole thing about Frodo's dreams, but, (laughs) yeah. Anywho, so they're like, crap. And uh, Legolas reveals Gollum, who was supposed to be being held by the Mirkwood elves. Gollum has escaped. There's lots of these little reveals happening during this council. Boromir, who is from uh, a human from Gondor, reveals that Sauron's forces are attacking Gondor, um, and he he's come to get help. So there's a lot of like people revealing what's going on with the rest of the world. I actually think either Gloin or Gimli talks about how a representative from Mordor has come to the mountain and is demanding that Dane pay tribute or join with them or or else be waged war upon. And they've been putting this off, but they also don't really know what to do. So, lots of this discussion. (laughs) And Elrond's like, okay, here's what we can do. Like, the ring has to be destroyed. And then Boromir's like, does it? Does it, though? Does it actually have to be destroyed? Can we not, can we not use the ring? And they're like, no, absolutely not. And Boromir's like, okay, okay, okay. And... They're like, okay, so we gotta destroy the ring. Like, it can't be kept here. It can't be helped any kept anywhere because, like, eventually evil comes everywhere and will overtake it. So it's gotta be taken and destroyed and it needs to be taken and destroyed now. <sighs> I, I'm going full out of order on this scene. I should also mention at some point Aragorn's, re- his whole lineage is revealed and Boromir's like, okay. He's a little skeptical, I will say. There's actually a very funny line of him being skeptical, but everyone's like, we're going to reforge the sword, and I'm going to come and fight for Gondor. And Boromir's like, okay, sure, if you can do that, that would be great. If you can do it. Aragorn's like, I can do it. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Watch they, me, bitch. <laughs> there is this great, great pissing yes. contest between the two of them where, where Boromir's like, the reason all of you are free is because... We in Gondor have been fighting back the enemy, and nobody appreciates for us for that. And then Aragorn comes in, and he's like, well, the rangers, the Dunedain, have been helping out too, and nobody appreciates us even more. There's just a weird mean girls fight between them in the middle yes. of this very important discussion to decide <laughs> the fate of the world. <laughs> yes. Okay, wait, I just have to, this, there's this one quote that I just think is so funny. 
Uh, so Boromir's talking. He's like, mayhap the sword that was broken may still stem the tide. If the hand that wields it has inherited not an heirloom only, but the sinews of the kings of men. Who can tell, said Aragorn. <laughs> <laughs> but we will put it to the test one day. <laughs> <laughs> That's some pretty great shade. Yeah, and then Bor- Boromir comes back with, may the day not be too long delayed. <laughs> So this is just a, a sampling of some of the sass going on during this meeting. The actual like entire meeting, there's there's a one-liner Gandalf gets off that I forget what he says that's fantastic. But anywho, eventually everyone is just falling into bickering about what the hell they're going to do with the ring. And then finally Frodo's like, I will take the ring, although I do not know the way. And unlike in the movies, they don't just decide immediately who the hell is going to go with him. Although Sam does like run out and is like, I, I, don't leave me, Frodo, Frodo. <laughs> so that's pretty much sad. But everyone else gets sort of assembled later on. Um, and Elrond has this whole thing where he wants it to be nine people because there are nine black riders. Yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> and I, I think we could, there could be a whole study of like the numerology of Lord of the Rings and like party making because like there have to be like, 14 people in Bilbo's party and there's got to be nine in Frodo's and that's the reason why like you know more people can't go yeah I'm sure symbolically it's very interesting but practically it's very dumb because they send four Mm -hmm. hobbits (laughs) on this quest and and they're supposed to be equals to the black riders is that what we're just going with here Okay. Yeah, it's it's not really explained. Like, they talk about it can't be a big party because, sure. like, then that would draw attention. But, like, they br- specifically bring up the elf who helps Frodo and company reach Rivendell. Glorfindel. Yeah, who's, like, this great elf. Like, very powerful elf. Yes. Elf lord. But, like, they specifically bring him up. And then Gandalf's like, I mean, what could he really do against Sauron? And <laughs> it's so dumb because the it's not told in this book, but the backstory of Glorfindel is that he has single-handedly killed a Balrog himself. He would be very good for this mission, taking on <laughs> Sauron's forces, okay? <laughs> but no, they're like, Pippin and Mary absolutely refuse to be left behind, even though like, Elrond was like, I want to send one of you back to, like, warn the Shire. And they're like, no, we're going with Frodo. You cannot make us go back. Which, like, proud of them and their bravery. Even though, like, two seconds later, they're like, actually, if I'd known how hard this was, I I would not have come. (laughs) Uh, But, like, yeah, it does stop there from being more competent people in the party. But it ends up being the four hobbits, Gandalf, Aragorn, Boromir, Legolas, and Gimli. Our fellowship. Of the ring. Hey, that's the name of the show. And they head out. It's okay for a while, but then they get to the mountains they need to cross, and they want to go up to the pass. Karadhas, yeah, yes. You can do that pronunciation. I can't say Karadhas? it. Something like that. <laughs> it's a mountain. <laughs> and Gandalf and Aragorn have been kind of debating a little bit about where they're going to go. Aragorn's like, I really feel like we, we should go up to the pass. And Gandalf's like, well... There is that other way, you know. And everyone's like, that seems like a bad idea. Maybe not. So they try and go up to the pass. But um, for whatever reason, they did have to like leave in winter because they end up staying in Rivendell for a really f***ing long time. <laughs> because they want to send out scouts to find out if the Black Riders are gone or not. 
but it seems bad that you're delaying until you're leaving in winter. Like, if you're going over mountains, this seems like a bad idea. It seems uh, like it might know. be better to risk the Black Riders. But no, they had to do this for months. So, it's winter. The mountain's really snowy. Like, kind of abnormally snowy. Like, it seems like there might be some something something happening. This is an interesting moment, because in the movies, it's Saruman who plays that force. But in the books, it's the mountain itself that we learn apparently doesn't like dwarves and elves which on one hand is kind of silly but on the other hand it gets at a point that i actually think is really interesting we'll discuss later put a pin in that yeah continue (laughs) uh so basically the the poor hobbits are like basically buried up to their heads and so they're like we can't do this (laughs) so they turn back and it turns out that the way that gandalf wants to go is through the mines of moria and Gimli is all for that because mines. But Aragorn's like, I really think that's a bad idea. And Borby is also like, I think that's a bad idea. There's a lot of people who think that's a very, very bad idea. But it basically comes down to like they're they're trying to make this decision, and then <laughs> they're like attacked by like <laughs> wolf spirit things. I. Like, the bodies disappear, so... By wargs, yeah. Yes, but they're not, like, real wargs. They're, like, I... spirit wargs. <laughs> what? The bodies disappear. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm pretty sure the bodies disappear. They're real wolves. We'll look it up. Not right now, because I just want to, like, get through the summary. The point is, they're attacked, <laughs> and they end up deciding to go to Moria. Okay, so I've spent a little bit of time researching this. So, what Morgan is specifically referring to is this passage from The Fellowship of the Ring. Quote, When the full light of the morning came, no signs of the wolves were to be found, and they looked in vain for the bodies of the dead. No trace of the fight remained but the charred trees and the arrows of Legolas lying on the hilltop. All were undamaged, save one, of which only the point was left. It is as I feared, said Gandalf. These were no ordinary wolves hunting for food in the wilderness. End quote. So, if these were not ordinary wolves, what were they? Well, some theorized that these might have been werewolves, which Tolkien had a bit of a different interpretation of what werewolves are versus what we think of when we think of werewolves. So in the Silmarillion, Tolkien describes werewolves as fell beasts inhabited by dreadful spirits. So, theoretically, these were spirits somehow occupying the bodies of wolves. And when the spirits were destroyed, the bodies were also destroyed with them. I mean, also, it could just be that they were spirits. However, it's odd because it's described how the Fellowship is able to physically attack these wolves. I mean, Legolas shoots them with arrows and Aragorn stabs one in the frickin' face or something. I guess really the the real answer is, I have no f***ing clue. So they head to Moria. Interestingly, like, the main way through is, like, been blocked off, so they have to, like, find a back way through. If this is reminding you of anything, it should. 
So they, like, find where the secret door is, and Gandalf lights it up with a staff, and they have to figure out the password. And this is all happening by a very sinister pool. I also want to take the moment to note this is where Bill the Pony gets uh, sent off with, like, Gandalf's blessing to get back to Rivendell. <laughs> uh, whether or not he does, there's a lot of fear of pony violence here. Sam's very concerned. I'm glad someone in this world is concerned about the fate of ponies. <laughs> but while Gandalf is trying to figure out the password, Boromir is making the excellent decision to throw rocks into the pool. And Frodo's like, Boromir, what the f*** are you doing? The pool seems evil. Don't do that. <laughs> Luckily, like, Gandalf figures out that, like, the part that says, say friend or and enter means say the word for friend in Elvish and enter. Um, so he opens the door just as this, like, crazy tentacle monster goes for Frodo out of the pool. They luckily get Frodo out, they get through, but the way behind them does collapse, so they're stuck in Moria. So they're traveling through, boop, 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 boop. <laughs> the moment where, like, for movie people, this is all kind of, like, out of order. So the moment where Gandalf gets confused about which way they're going or supposed to go is also, like, the same scene where Pippin drops something down the well. Although it's not by accident this time. Like, he does it on purpose. Yeah, he purpose. drops, he throws a rock in. Just because he's curious. And Gandalf's like, you idiot. <laughs> Don't do that. And then Gandalf figures out which way to go, so they head on. Should mention that this is where... I believe this is where Frodo starts thinking he sees two glowing lights watching them. This is a recurring thing for the next however long. Then they come to this room where they find the tomb of Balin, which is very sad. And they read this journal that's by him about his fate and what happened to the Moria expedition, which is... (laughs) Very bleak and also very hard to read. Like, so much of it has been damaged that they can't read most of it. But it seems like there was this battle with the orcs for control of Moria. And they were overcome. And just after they finished this, they start hearing the doom, doom, doom of drums in the deep. Which is literally the word doom. Like, that's how Tolkien chooses to describe it. So, they, uh... See lots of orcs coming with for them with cave trolls and shit. They have a cave troll. And they're like, <laughs> they try and barricade that door, but leave another door open so they can run away. They're not like entirely succeeding in this. Like a, a orc manages to get in, and he like spears Frodo. Oh no! But luckily, I should mention like back in Rivendell, Bilbo gave Frodo Sting and his mithril armor that he got in the Hobbit. And luckily, Frodo's wearing that, so he's not dead. Although, like, they pick up his body and run away with him, thinking he's dead. And then he's like, I'm fine. You could put me down. I could walk. <laughs> I'm not sure how Aragorn made that mistake, but that's okay. They're very stressed. Uh, Gandalf stays behind to, like, block the way after them. And when he returns to them, he's like, there was something there that was, like, I've never seen. We need to run. And they're like, okay. Luckily, they're fairly close to the exit. Um, But they get to this bridge to cross over and they see orcs and their forces come up behind them and they get a good look at this thing that Gandalf was so worried about. The Balrog. The demon of the ancient world. And uh, everyone freaks the f*** out. Yeah, Gandalf's like, okay, I'll hold the bridge. You guys head out. But Aragorn and Boromir don't like fully... Uh, listen to his orders. They stay at the end of the bridge to, like, you know, be there if Gandalf needs them. Gandalf tries and 
blocks the way. There's lots of yelling. <laughs> he manages to like get the other half of the bridge to collapse so that the Balrog falls down in the deeps, but the Balrog manages to whip Gandalf around the knees and pull him after. And of course, Gandalf's iconic last words, fly, you fools, set the others running while they're crying. It talks about them sobbing while they're running, but they do manage to get out. And then they just kind of collapse out there to cry for a while. But then after that, everyone's like, okay, we need to go. We're probably being chased. So I'm like the new leader now. Follow me. So they head off into the woods and trek there for a while. Eventually, they are stopped by some elves that live in the woods. They're like, hey, these are our woods. (laughs) You will be coming with us now. And they travel with the elves for a while towards wherever they're going. And eventually, they get to the point where they're like, okay, so dwarves aren't allowed to come any further. And Aragorn's like, well, we kind of we kind of have to. There is no other option. Yeah. They're like, fine, fine. We will let Gimli in, but he must be blindfolded. Gimli's like, no, thank you. You assholes. I've done nothing to you. And they're like, well, it's some rules. We're already bending them a lot to even let you in. And Aragorn's like, okay, look, we'll all go blindfolded. And then Gimli's like, fine, I'll go blindfolded, but Legolas has to go blindfolded too. <laughs> Legolas is like, you asshole. <laughs> I'm an elf, and I, of all people, should be allowed to see the city. And everyone's like, I already said we're all going to go blindfolded. Stop. So they all go blindfolded. They're taken into the city before the, the king and queen, essentially. Celeborn and Galadriel. Yes. I got you covered with the names. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I mean, I know Gladriel. I just couldn't remember. I knew it was like a C something, but it would have come out bad. <laughs> Anywho, so there's a lot of like rehashing, like what are they doing there? What happened to Gandalf, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but it's decided they can stay for a while. Rest, recharge, get ready for their trip. There is this odd moment where Gladriel looks at each of them and it feels like she is like looking into their mind and seeing all the reasons they might not want to go on. And they're all kind of a little little spooked by this, but they end up staying a while. It's very peaceful. But at some point, Frodo and Sam are wandering about and they come across Galadriel and she's like, hey, come with me. And she brings them to what's called the Mirror of Galadriel, which is this, I don't know how to describe it. It's like a basin she pours water yeah, into. Yeah, has some magical qualities that allow people who look into it to see visions of what has happened what is happening, and what has not yet come to pass. Yes. Interestingly enough, when she offers them the chance to look in, Sam is actually the first one to take her up on the offer. Um, And he sees a lot about the Shire, and some of the things he sees are the hill being dug up and his, his dad now being homeless and people cutting trees down and just bad things happening. And he yanks away and he's like, I gotta go back. I gotta stop this. Gladriel's like, hey, it might not even happen. <laughs> Like, this is this is not, like, just the future set in stone. This is just what might be. And, you know, it could be you going back is what makes it happen. So it's like, okay, okay. I, did, I didn't actually want to leave Frodo. I just, you know, was worried. And she's like, hey, Frodo, you want to look? <laughs> Frodo's like, I guess. <laughs> like, Frodo's really not very enthusiastic. And I shouldn't mention the f- ring has already begun wearing on Frodo yeah. a lot. Like, he can already, for instance, see in the dark better than anyone else. And he gets, like, evil vibes. Like, he's able to sense evil, sort of. Yeah. So, he's already really having a rough time. So, he goes and looks. 
in the mirror and he sees like a lot of a lot of things much of which is foreshadowing for the rest of the books but the very last thing he sees is the giant eye and i believe this is also the first time he sees the eye so Mm -hmm. note for that but yes the giant eye of sauron and he pulls back Gladriel's like, I know what you see because it's also what I see. And she reveals she has one of the elvish rings of power and she's been keeping them hidden from Sauron's eye, but, you know, only so much she can do. And she also reveals that it's a little bit sad because basically her options are help them to destroy the ring, which will then cause her ring to, like, lose power and basically Lothorian will wither and die and they will be forced to leave. Or, you know stop them from destroying the ring and then Sauron gets the ring and they're all taken over by evil anyways. Yeah. So there's really like no great option for her and Frodo offers her the ring and she has her whole speech about how she's often been tempted or wondered what would happen if the ring was before her and how she might become a great queen and defeat Sauron and all shall love me in despair. Indeed. Which is a, a great line for your dating app profile. <laughs> Yes, I highly recommend. 10 out of 10. But yeah, so then she eventually is like, but no, I think I will just stay as I am and decline and be Galadriel. So good for her. Proud of her. Um, (laughs) They decide to head out in the next couple of days. There is this debate about where they're going. Because basically they're going to head out on the river in boats and on... They would travel on the east side if they want to go towards Mordor, but they would travel on the west side if they want to go towards Gondor. And it's revealed that Aragorn's plan is always was always to go with them a certain amount of the way and then peel off with Boromir at a certain point to go to Gondor. And he still really wants to do that because he feels, you know, like an obligation and a desire to do that. But now that Gandalf's gone, he also thinks he has to stay with Frodo and take Frodo to Mordor. So there's some debate about what the f- they should do, but nothing really gets resolved, and it doesn't have to be because they can just travel on the river for a while. Mm-hmm. So they set off on the river after uh, Galadriel gives them some parting gifts, including Frodo's little magic lamp thing. <laughs> Again, I don't know how to describe it. It's a thing that glows. Yeah, it's uh, the light of Erendil. The s- yes. Which is their most beloved star. It's a, it's like a, like a little vial or something that contains this starlight. I think we also realize in the, or find out in this moment that like Galadriel is Arwen's grandma or something. Oh yeah, Aragorn and Galadriel have a fun conversation about how Aragorn's porking Arwen or wants to at least. <laughs> Very interesting. We haven't really actually gotten much about their romance directly told to us. It's all been kind of hinted at, um, which I thought was interesting. This is possibly the most direct conversation we get and even this doesn't make it entirely clear what the hell is going on there but yeah so they head out they are paddling along the river for many days during these days sam happens to see the same glowing eyes that uh frodo did paddling along on a walk (laughs) behind them (laughs) he describes it as like a log with eyes and feet (laughs) (laughs) it's pretty funny and frodo's like yeah pretty sure it's Gollum." They stay up that night and catch Gollum trying to come up and, like, spring on them. And they reveal this to Aragorn. He's like, yeah, he's been following us for a while. And really, they should have been like, Aragorn, why didn't why didn't you uh, reveal that? <laughs> why didn't you tell us? <laughs> but they don't. 
And then they get to the last possible day they can go without deciding where the hell they're going. Aragorn's like, okay, we gotta make a choice. And Frodo, I think you should make the choice of the reindeer. <laughs> Frodo's so like, my life. Yeah. And he's like, can I have one hour to just think by myself about this? So Frodo wanders off to think, like, on his own. Although, I will mention, they got shut out by orcs not too long ago. Yeah. So maybe sending Frodo off on his own isn't the wisest thing. Yeah. But they let him do that. And then he's thinking about it. And he, like, I mean, he knows what he wants to do. But he's just, like, trying to muster up the courage, essentially. But while he's trying to do this, Boromir rolls up and is like, Hey, was thinking about how you maybe shouldn't be alone. Was also thinking maybe maybe we could talk. You know, two people, it's much easier to come to a consensus than, you know, nine people. And Frodo's like, mm, no, no, I've made up my mind. We, we don't need to do this. Like, don't, don't. Boromir's like, mm, have you, though? Because have you thought about Gondor? Because really, Gondor. Gondor! He, like, has this whole sales pitch that he just goes through. And Frodo's like, no, I gotta go to Mordor. Like, you don't have to come with me, but I, I have to go to Mordor. Boromir is getting more and more agitated and upset. And he's like, it would be really foolish to bring the ring to the enemy when you could give it to me or Aragorn and then we can use it to fight in Gondor. Gondor! He has this whole scheme he's come up with about how like Frodo's going to give him the ring and then he's going to take down Sauron and he's going to become this great king and like he has this whole ambitious plan to like conquer places. He just goes off. And Frodo's like, no, no. And Boromir, you know, lunges for him like a f***ing crazy person. <laughs> and so Frodo makes the very wise decision to put on the ring and run the f*** away. Boromir uh, shouts for a while about how Frodo's in league with the enemy. And then he falls on his face and, you know, has the sobering realization that he was an absolute asshole. <laughs> Frodo wanders off and decides, you know what, he's going to go on his own. No one else needs to go with him. He doesn't want to, like, ruin anyone else's lives, and they've all got other things to be doing, and et cetera, et cetera. Back at camp, Boromir is returned, and he's like, Frodo and I had a bit of a disagreement, and he's run off, and I don't know where he is. And everyone's like, I can tell you're not telling the full truth, but we really need to look for Frodo. And everyone just kind of runs off to, like, look for Frodo, <laughs> and everyone's like, we need to stick together, what the f***? <laughs> he manages to get Boromir to go after Merry and Pippin, and he goes with Sam, but he and Sam get separated fairly quickly, and then Sam realizes, I know Frodo. I know what he's going to do. He's going to go steal a boat while we're not there and go off on his own. So he runs back and manages to catch Frodo as Frodo's trying to leave while invisible. Uh, almost drowns <laughs> before Frodo's like, oh my god, Sam, <laughs> you idiot, fine, I'll take you with me. And then they head off to Mordor the end that was a longer summary i think than pride and prejudice i think so too which i am not surprised by because this adventure there's a lot of meandering and it takes us to a lot of different places reading this book was so much fun because it took so long there would be a new <laughs> character introduced and i'd be reading about this character and then i i'd stop reading the book and i'd go research who this character is and of course I would find this fully fleshed out backstory that Tolkien had developed about this character and I'd just get lost. And, and it's like the Lord of the Rings version of falling down that Wikipedia hole. So yes, that, it's understandable why it took so long because there are so many different elements 
So many different characters, so many different details. There are wonderful details that we left out, like the fact that in LaFlorian, Legolas and Gimli become best of friends and go on walks together. And it's so darn <laughs> <Yeah>. cute. <laughs> it's actually really cute, too, because like everyone else is like, wait, when did this happen? But all of a sudden, they're just super tight. Yeah. And Gimli has his very cute moment with Galadriel, where he asks for a hair of her head that he's going to cast into some jewelry because he has never seen anyone or anything as beautiful as Galadriel. <sighs> it's There's so many great little details. <laughs> well, the great thing about that moment with Gimli and the hair is that her, like, husband is there when he's asking for this and her husband just gives Gimli this affronted look yeah like why are you hitting on my wife in front of me bruh all the elves are just like aghast at what Gimli is asking here but Galadriel is just like man this dwarf is so fucking cool I'm gonna give him three hairs so yeah I mean where do we start I feel like we should start with talking about sort of the crossover and revision of The Hobbit in The Fellowship of the Rings. Of course. That's a good place. Because, yeah, I think that's a natural sort of way to start. Because I, I think one of the things I found most fascinating is in the ways in which we're constantly thinking about The Hobbit for a lot of this book, if you've read The Hobbit. And, I mean, there's an entire chapter... Uh, I believe the second chapter called The Shadow of the Past. Mm. And it really does feel like there's this shadow of the past book kind of hanging over this one. And there's a ways a way in which like some of the early adventures with Sam and Frodo and Pippin and Mary are very much like these sort of small traveling escapades that like Bilbo and the dwarves got into. But like it gets much more serious, much more fast. And so you have, like, yeah, these small encounters with, like, the woods and the Barrow Whites, bad things, but it's when, like, the Black Riders come and actually, like, stab Frodo that you're like, this isn't, like, a small thing anymore. And I should mention, like, the Black Riders are the, like, spirits, I guess, of the, like, nine kings yes. who had the human kings who had the rings. So, like, they themselves are spirits of the past yeah. that have been twisted and perverted. And there's so many lines in here. I mean, not only Frodo's about, like, wishing this hadn't come to his and wishing his adventure was different than Bilbo's, but Bilbo comments multiple times about feeling bad that he left this to Frodo. You know, this is Frodo's inheritance in a way. And Bilbo, like, offers to take the ring himself. And everyone's like, you can't do that. You're too old. Yeah. <laughs> um, but... Even going further, I thought Moria is where you really see the Hobbit die, if that makes sense. Mm. Like, once again, it is our party going into an old mountain that's been, an old Dorvish mountain that's been overtaken by another force. And they go in to find the tomb of one of the, of one of the probably two most important dwarves that went on that journey, Balin, who's the one who was actually able to go a little way into the mountain with Bilbo, with the Hobbit. Yeah. And, like, came out and visited him. So it's one of the dwarves you feel most attached to. So they go in to find his tomb there. And, of course, the other person to die in Moria is Gandalf, the other member of that party. This entire book is like, the Hobbit is dead, and now you have to deal with its twisted ghost coming back to life and haunting the story. And I thought that was fascinating. Ah, that's such a... I didn't even think of it that way because, yeah, it's 
a similar kind of quest as The Hobbit up to that point, except everything ends in the worst possible way. It's like if The mm-hmm. Hobbit had a bad ending. Yeah. But yeah, like picking up on that, there's so much attention paid in this book to the way things linger on the world itself. And it's not just like ruins, but the spirit of things. Because there's a lot of talk about these old kingdoms that used to be present in these areas and how they're completely forgotten, but a shadow of them seems to linger on the place. And there's this Mm. really fascinating line where Legolas is talking about how these elves used to occupy this place. And the stones themselves are the only reminder of that because the stones themselves are crying out, they are gone, they are gone. And it's so, oh God, there's, there's an ache that's present throughout this book of something that is lost. And you get suggestions of that. And I think in the last uh, episode for The Hobbit, I talked about how there's this kind of sadness that came with the death of Smog, even though Smog is this horrific weapon of mass destruction, basically. He represents something of the past, of this more grand, incredible, fantastical vision of the world. And now with his death, part of that vision of the past is gone with him. And so you get that sense with like Galadriel saying, with the passing of the ring, so too will pass the elves. Defeating evil has consequences. Right. You're also in in some ways losing the world too. It's so fascinating to navigate that in this book and just to see how that feeling gets presented in all these different ways. There's this like really existentially horrifying moment early on in the book where the hobbits are romping through the Shire when they encounter the Black Rider for the first time. And Frodo kind of has this aside to himself where he says something like, but we're still in the Shire. It's that moment where your home no longer feels safe. And that's what he's experiencing. It's it's the moment when this thing that represented safety and shelter, protection, that's no longer the case. And, and there's just moments like that peppered throughout. And ah, oh, it's just so fascinating to see all these details building into that, that feeling that that something is being lost even as we're progressing and seeing more of this world. We're also, as we see it, it's right. going and away. I think the, the interesting thing about it too is that there's certainly moments where that's presented as horrible. And I mean, you certainly feel the coming loss of Lothorian. But like, that's also presented as like a natural thing that must happen. And we're shown numerous examples of things that have lingered too long that are twisted by the lingering. Like attempting to preserve a thing is bad. Let the past die. Kill it if you have to. Like I think part of the problem with Balan's whole quest to retake Moria is that they're trying to reclaim the past and that cannot be done. And certainly Gollum and Bilbo are both examples of people that have sort of lingered beyond their time. Bilbo talks about feeling, you know, stretched thin. Like, 
But I scraped over too much bread. Nothing else. Gollum is certainly a representation <laughs> of just like he has been incredibly twisted by just living far too long. And we can sort of get into the character of the ring itself about how it draws people thin. The sheer desire of it just stretches people thin to the point that they are no longer there themselves. They basically turn into wraiths. And mm -hmm. that's what Gollum was basically going through that process. And I think, I don't know if it ever says it explicitly in the books, but he's like 500 years old or something. So there's just something extremely unnatural. And there's also this other aspect of that where even if you fight the natural progression of things, there's no stopping it. There's the small details where they uh, come across this pillar outside of Moria that apparently marks the spot where Durin first stopped at this lake outside of Moria. And the pillar itself, it used to be covered in these dwarven runes, but the runes are faded and you can't read them. And there's also this very telling line, I think Galadriel says it, about how they're prolonging the inevitable defeat of Lothlorien, because one way or the other, Lothlorien is going to pass. And there's nothing you can do about that other than accept it in some ways and try to do something else and in the elves case that's leaving middle earth and going to the un the undying lands in the west yeah there's just like this deep underlying sadness throughout the book of of what is being lost but also recognition that there's not really anything you can do about it. You have to accept it and try to make the best of it. Now I'm depressed. Perhaps we're unfairly painting this as completely hopeless. And I don't think that's <laughs> necessarily what the book is saying. Aragorn is still the king who will come back. The Shire still exists. Well, at least for a little while. We'll get to that. No, but I think it's fair to say there's a lot of melancholy in this book. It's probably how I would paint it. It's It's... Gently sad. <laughs> I mean, most of the songs, not all of them, because there are still some st stupid songs, but most of the songs are about historical figures that they've lost. Where now she wanders, none can tell, in sunlight or in shade, for lost and The songs are centered on tragic histories. So yes, while we do have some sort of forward-lookingness with Aragorn and maybe the renewed friendship of uh, Gimli and Legolas could also be seen as this, mm. a re-coming together of the races of Middle-earth against evil. There is a lot of just melancholy sadness for what has been lost and what will be lost inevitably. So I don't think it's unfair to characterize it that way. I think this is a very mournful book in many ways. I don't think it's a coincidence we see so many dead characters from The Hobbit. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's a very funny moment, kind of funny, but there's this random story of um, that Aragorn tells of Luthien and Baron. Luthien's an elf, and Baron is a man, and it's this kind of star-crossed lovers type of story. And it ends tragically, as every story does in Middle-earth, apparently. 
Luthien. No, I think it's Baron is taken captive. Luthien has to go in and rescue him. But as he's being rescued, he is killed. Very sad. But the funny thing is, is that apparently Tolkien, the characters of Luthien and Baron are based off of Tolkien and his wife. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Which is very cute. It's very sweet. And in fact, on their tombstones, uh, the, their epitaphs read like J.R.R. Tolkien. And then under it is Baron, the name Baron. And under his wife's name is Luthien. Aww. Very sweet. But also, I can imagine Tolkien coming in one day being like, hey, honey, I wrote this beautiful story about us. <laughs> and she's like, oh, what happens? Well, my character gets killed and you have to go into like the underworld to rescue me. And she's like, oh, whatever, you weirdo, you know? <laughs> uh. Yeah. But I suppose on, on that topic of the music, the music in the story. So a quick little backstory about music. Uh, the creation myth of Middle Earth is that Middle Earth's version of God sang the universe into being. And so music has this very mystical quality. Tom Bombadil uses music to overpower the trees and overpower the barrel whites the elves use music to help people relax and to heal people and there's oh my god probably my favorite line in this book you keep saying that <laughs> i i know i know i do but this one is for sure my favorite line it's when they're in lafloran which we didn't really have the time to describe in the summary lafloran is just the most beautiful incredible place they keep describing how it feels like a land that feels preserved in some way it's timeless and it's heavenly but sam good old god <coughs> sam describes it as this i feel as if i was inside a song if you take my meaning and morgan when i read that line i i shouted <laughs> i jumped up and down because it just describes so perfectly the magic, the majesty of what this place means in this world. It is obviously referring back to that creation myth, a time when the world was pure and good and everything was just joy. But it, it also just captures that. I mean, just imagine your favorite Billy Joel song, oh Morgan, God. just playing and you're just, and the joy that, bursts out of you. Start down, you crazy child, and take the phone off the hook and disappear for a while. It's all right, you can't afford to lose a day or two. Ooh, when will you realize Vienna waits for you? And for everyone else, actually good, talented musicians oh, when they play music. Ah. <laughs> Billy and Joel is great. <laughs> Do not come at Billy Joel. Anyway, my point being the sense of pure emotion that's that's captured in that line. And I think that's what Tolkien is trying to capture with all of his songs that he writes into these stories. Of course, he runs into the obstacle <sighs> that you are reading these books, not listening to them. But I don't think it's, you know, this is outside of the books. It's not surprising to me 
these books have inspired a lot of musicians and there's a lot of music that's based basically on Lord of the Rings. There's a reason for that. There's something that is very musical, I think, about these books and the magic it tries to capture of what music does to people. And, you know, mixed bag. Yeah. Of course. It's, I also think Tolkien is very much inspired by, I mean, obviously, like, poems like Beowulf. He worked on those. Yes. As a scholar for years. And he's, like, so deeply passionate about Beowulf. Like, I once again, if you haven't read anything about Beowulf by him, I highly recommend you do. But, like, he's very passionate about poetry, about music, about this kind of version of telling stories. It just... I was trying to read these songs and really take them in and absorb them. Mm -hmm. And they're just, most of them I don't think are strong enough, strong (laughs) enough on their own without like actually having music to really like, yeah, transport you to that place. There's a couple that, you know, I I enjoyed. I mean, the little rhyme, Aragorn's little rhyme is deeply stupid, but like, (laughs) I love that rhyme. It's said two different times in this book. And, like, in both of those times, it was the stupidest time to have that come out. But I Mm -hmm. also love that little rhyme. Like, it's so good. So, like, yeah, there are definite moments where, like, it's it's working. And I think, yeah, uh, when actually when when Aragorn tells the story of of Baron and Luthien, I think was one of the times it worked better. Especially because there's a there's an emotional reason why Aragorn is (laughs) talking about that. (laughs) There's, you know... Some some parallels to things in his real life. So, like, you know, he's having feelings about it. And I think that helps make it work. But, yeah, it's just not... It's possibly one of the least successful parts of this book is is these songs. And I wish... I They do have some, like, really interesting world building in them. So I kind of wish we had gotten them in another format that might have been just a little bit more engaging. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard, too, because... A lot of these songs reference names and events that they're all fictional events in this fictional history of this fictional world. And they're just being name dropped left and right. And you're just like, I don't know who that is. Some of the resonance is lost without that background of what it means. What is what are the what is the importance of? of these different historical figures that people are singing about. Mm-hmm. We're lucky enough that we live in the age of the internet because you can just go onto Google and look up all these people and find all these incredible stories that Tolkien developed about them. But if you're just contained in the books themselves, it's just kind of, well, okay, that was a story, I guess. Not quite sure why it's here. And I feel you. It falls flat at times. But I do think at least the theory of music and the way it plays into this. Yes. Is really just fascinating to me. And I don't know if this is the time to discuss Tom Bombadil, but I don't think we can really talk about music without talking about Tom Bombadil. We can talk about Tom Bombadil. Well, isn't that exciting? Catch all the Tom Bombadil action next week on Reread. See you then.